pray. Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. There is an ancient prayer that the Jews would say while celebrating the Passover. They called it Ha Lachma Anya. Ha Lachma Anya. And it meant the bread of affliction. It was a reference to Deuteronomy 16, where Moses is preaching a farewell sermon to Israel before he dies. They're about to enter the promised land, and he's retelling them the teachings of the law. In chapter 16, he is addressing the Passover, where he says, And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place which the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. The Passover was a remembrance, a meal where the Israelites reenacted the Exodus. They were to continue observing this every year, even after entering the new land. The two elements were emphasized here, the lamb and the unleavened bread. The bread they ate at this meal was to have no yeast in it, a sort of flatbread. It was to be unleavened with no spices, no sugar, just plain. In fact, they were not to have any yeast in their house whatsoever. In the story of the Exodus, in chapters 12 and 13, it's highlighting the urgency of what's happening. There's no time to let the dough rise. It's also teaching them humility and the plain, ordinary sense of the faith that they will need, stripped of all comforts, as they're going to head out into the wilderness on that tragic night of the final plague. They're to stay awake that night with a vigil watch, an alertness, urgency, and a faith-based preparation for what's lying ahead. They're leaving the former things behind, and they're heading out to something new. Moses calls this unleavened bread the bread of affliction. This is a reminder of the haste at which they left Egypt and the bitterness that they were leaving behind. They were served with bitter herbs along with that flatbread, so they would taste the bitterness and remind them of the slavery that they had been under at the hands of the gods of Egypt. They needed to never forget this day, to always remember the day of God's deliverance from their bitterness so that they would not want to return. It was from this context that they developed that prayer, ha-lak-ma-an-ya, the bread of affliction prayer. And in that prayer, 
which some have dated back to the first century, they said, This is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. They would hold up the bread and break it. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are needy come and celebrate Passover. Now we are here. Next year we may be in the land of Israel. Now we are slaves. Next year we may be free. These words, if indeed they do date to the first century, have a striking contrast, and especially Moses' words about the bread of affliction, when you now hear Jesus speaking in a similar context. Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and the time at hand is the Passover. And he says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus speaks these words to a crowd that he has just fed with actual, literal bread. In fact, he fed them to the full. Like Moses in the wilderness, Jesus provided bread in such abundance from five loaves and two fish, Jesus fed 5,000. They ate, they were full, and there were leftovers, 12 baskets full. The people were so moved by this amazing miracle, they called him the prophet, and they decided to make this man king, whether he liked it or not. But Jesus is not interested in their vision for who he is, and he withdraws to be by himself. He sets out with his disciples in a boat. But the people are obsessed with him. They're so obsessed with him that they chase him down. They wait by the shore to see if his boat returns. And when it doesn't return, they hop in boats and they follow up the shore to get to where Jesus is going until finally they find him in Capernaum. They're seeking him. And the text says that. They come to Capernaum seeking Jesus. But why? It's at this stage where Jesus preaches his bread of life sermon. He feeds the 5,000, but the meaning of that feeding is not what the people think it is. They imagine of what a king Jesus would make, a man who could work miracles, who can provide bread to the hungry. At a moment's notice, in such abundance, they would never run out. But he is not the baker. He is the maker. He is the I am God, the incarnate one of all eternity who has come down from heaven, not so that he can supply more bread, which will provide earthly comforts, but to supply something with, which will satisfy the greatest hunger, not the bread of affliction, but the bread of life. Jesus is alluding here also to Isaiah chapter 55. If you look up Isaiah 55, you'll see the hints and the similarities where Isaiah writes, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The bread of affliction prayer was meant to invite people to come who are hungry. It, in fact, says, come and eat. And to the needy, come and drink. But their prayer is a bit misguided in what they are after. And Jesus is exposing that for all of them to see. The bread prayer was calling for people to come and eat bread. Something that reminded them of the afflictions they had in Egypt that are continuing to this day. The afflictions haven't stopped. The freedom is not complete. And Isaiah is making the opposite point that you are laboring for that which is not really bread. Why do you spend money in what cannot satisfy? This is again echoed in the Psalms, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late to eat the bread of anxious toil. For God gives to his beloved sleep. This is the point of what Jesus is after with the people. They're looking at the Passover in this event as a messianic event, but they're misinterpreting what the Messiah has come to do. He indeed comes to invite them to eat, but not of the bread that will perish. He says to them, Amen, Amen, I say to you, You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Here is the empty stomach. The stomach that is hungry, but will be empty again. Whatever temporary affliction we might go through, if we are only hungry for what will fill us right now, if we are only seeking money which will satisfy our immediate needs and luxuries, or the comfort that will take away our immediate pain, we will never be satisfied. Jesus did not come to fill our stomachs with the bread of affliction. And that's the whole point of the Passover, and that's the whole message of the Exodus. The bread of affliction reminds us of the bitterness of this world, and the gods of this world, and the labor of this world. Life that can never, ever satisfy our deepest needs. The toil it takes to make bread from the breaking of soil, which some of us might be doing now that it's spring. The sowing of a seed. The constant defense of plant life. The toil of drought and storm. The harvesting, the grinding, the milling, the baking. What are we laboring for? And even today... 
Most of us have no sense of what any of that toil really means because we pull our bread out of a bag and it's just there on the dinner table. And still, with all of those manufactured comforts that we have generated over the centuries, what do we do? Even though we're given bread in such abundance that with, with such little, hard, hard labor on our part, we still complain. We still want something better, something bigger, something easier. We never get to the point of resting. We labor in vain to eat the bread of anxiety. You can see their obsession and why they're seeking Jesus for the wrong reason. He says to them, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. The only labor that matters, says Jesus, is the labor of faith. That is the work that matters. To seek Jesus for any other reason, to have any of your own preconceived vision of what Jesus needs to do for you, what his purpose is for your future, what you will do with him when you find him, is only to eat the bread of sorrows. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the true meaning of the Passover, of Isaiah 55, of the feeding of the 5,000, and the coming of Jesus, where the breaking of the bread of affliction turns into the breaking of the bread of life. Seek Jesus not for food which perishes, but for the food which endures. Jesus is the bread of life. And we know this because he accepts the bread of affliction, the bitterness that of our lives and our sins and our cup of sorrow. Jesus takes the affliction from us and takes the cup on our behalf. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying. And he is in such agony in his prayers to such an extent that his sweat is dropping like great drops of blood from him. He's toiling and laboring in a prayer that we could not even imagine to faithfully work through that prayer by faith to ask the Father that the cup would be taken away and have God say, no, it's for you. It was not the work that would lead to more earthly comforts for Jesus, but would lead to the cross, where his own body is broken in affliction. His own blood is shed for our sorrows. And yet, in this, he is the bread of life. Because he does not remain broken. His resurrection infuses the whole world, his whole being, with life, so that whoever believes in him as the risen Lord is receiving not affliction, but life. It's the life which sustains us through our afflictions. It is a power which truly sets us free. Come, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, you who are needy and cannot afford your own merit before God. 
and find the riches that will bring you rest. The celebration of the Lord's Supper for us is indeed a reliving of the Exodus in its truest sense. It finds its deepest meaning here in Jesus, who is the bread of life. And we seek him for no other reason. We do not expect that this can turn into the kingly idea that the Jews had of Jesus, but that it is the true kingship. For the flesh profits nothing, Jesus says. And you cannot understand this if you are only concerned with flesh, bread for your stomach, relief for your ailments. This is spiritual, and it is the spirit who gives life. The words that I speak are spirit, and they are life. Do you still want to follow me, Jesus says. And Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yes, Lord. Amen.